0: I'm Sam.
1: And I'm Sean.
0: And this is Key to the Case. Welcome back. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Quick reminder before we jump in, please remember to rate, review, and follow the podcast. This really helps us out, and we would greatly appreciate it. Today's case takes us across the pond to England, and it's been a while since we've covered a case outside of North America. So let's get into it. Alan Leppard was 43 years old at the time of his murder in 1991, and Brenda Long was 41 years old at the time of her murder in 1991. Somewhat strangely, most of what I know about Alan relates to his love life. At the time of his murder, he'd been married four times, and he had one child, a daughter, with his last wife. This wife, named Wendy, has said that there was no one quite like Alan. The pair spent seven years living together before they got married in May 1990, but their marriage was rather short-lived as Alan initiated a separation by the end of that year. Wendy was saddened by this, but she respected the decision and acknowledged that it'd be better to split than to stay in a marriage where only one person was happy. Wendy seemed to have mostly positive things to say about Alan. She seemed to think that His only negative trait was that he could be difficult when he drank, but he otherwise was easy to get along with. His third wife, on the other hand, didn't necessarily have the same perception. She described Alan as a serial cheat and a charmer. According to her, their relationship ended after she discovered he was having an affair. Allegedly, remaining faithful could sometimes be a challenge for Alan.
1: So in the beginning of his life description, you said fourth wife. I feel like I heard first wife.
0: No, I was talking about his fourth wife was the one he had a child with. Okay. If that's what you're meaning.
1: Okay. So his fourth wife was his latest wife. Yep. Correct.
0: And she had good things to say about him, but his third wife didn't. And I really don't know much about the first and second wife. I don't even know how long they were married for the first two. Alan worked for PMB Metal Components located in Whitstable in the county of Kent. He worked as a quality assurance manager, and at the time of his murder, he had been employed there for about 12 or 13 years. It was here where he met a new love interest named Brenda. Brenda was described as a popular and likable woman, and she worked as an accounts manager, and she had been employed by PMB Metal Components for about five years. It's unclear if Brenda and Alan knew each other for the entire five years they worked together or if they met shortly before they began the relationship, but I presume it's the latter. The reports I read made it sound like when they met, it was an instant connection. But Brenda was in a 12-year relationship at that time with a car dealer named Arthur. Brenda reportedly wanted more in life than what she was getting from Arthur and she left him in November 1990, right around the same time Alan left his wife. Brenda would later say that there was nothing they could do to stop the relationship. That's how intense their spark was. Brenda also felt that it took them both a long time to find each other kind of the right person. She considered Alan to be the right person for her and for her to be the right person for Alan. But they finally did. And she saw Alan as a caring, lovely and gentle man.
1: So in your research, could you find how long they had been seeing each other romantically before they each respectively split from their spouses?
0: I mean, not really. The way it read, I guess, was that when they met, they had this instant connection, but they were both in these relationships, so it kind of sounded like very, very shortly after a meeting, they then left their respective partners. But I, I see where you're going. You're kind of I feel like you're wondering if there was some overlap, maybe, and I, I really don't know. But I feel like there had to be a little bit. You know what I mean? If they yeah. if they had this instant romantic connection, but they did leave their partners. Very shortly after meeting,
1: yeah, I, I, I would just think that if they weren't together romantically, that they wouldn't have split from their spouses, right? they're oh, there
0: right definitely right.
1: would have have been some overlap
0: exactly. There had to be some discussion of yeah. well, I'm going to leave my partner, Are you going going to leave yours? And they moved fast in their relationship. Alan and Brenda moved in together in the small village of Moncton at the end of 1990, and they settled into a home located just a few doors down from a pub called the White Stag, which they were known to frequent. Their neighbors described them as a quiet couple who mostly kept to themselves. Many papers reported that Alan and Brenda wanted to get married as soon as they could, but they were waiting for his divorce to be finalized. However, his wife came forward to say, in no uncertain terms, that there was no divorce pending since they hadn't actually been married long enough for a divorce to even be possible. Despite this, it was clear that their relationship was over and Alan and Brenda were eager to move their relationship forward.
1: What was the reason to get, like, why were they so eager to get married? I mean, I know they were pretty passionate about one another. But I feel like since they were so eager to get married, there had to be some underlying reason, right?
0: You would think, yeah. But I think they really were just passionate about each other. And it is a little strange though, because Brenda was with Arthur for 12 years and they never officially got married. So for her to want to marry Alan so soon, I think the way she saw it was that she spent all this time with the wrong person, and now she was with the right person, and it just felt right, I guess. In early March 1991, three weeks before Alan was murdered, a mysterious, smartly-dressed man visited the White Stag pub one evening and asked one of the employees if Alan was around, to which the employee told him he was not, and this employee was familiar with Alan, so he knew who he was talking about. The man was characterized as having dark hair, piercing eyes, and a square jaw. He was estimated to be in his mid 30s and he wore gold jewelry. There was a computer based facial composite called an EFIT developed of this man, which we will share on our Instagram at Key to the Case podcast.
1: Did the bartender recognize this guy or did it seem like this was his first time in the pub?
0: He did not recognize him. Yeah, so he was definitely not a regular visitor of the pub. And Moncton is a pretty small village in general, so it seemed likely that this man did not live in Moncton. But no one could have possibly known that this visit would foreshadow a horrific event. On April 1st, 1991, which was Easter Monday, Alan and Brenda were in their home in Moncton watching TV in an upstairs bedroom. There was nothing out of the ordinary about their evening until at about 8.30 p.m., a neighbor of theirs overheard a scuffle between two men outside. Once the yelling subsided, she saw a large white American car with large fins on the rear drive down the street at a slow speed, and this car continued to drive up and down the street periodically over the next couple of hours. At around 10 p.m., Brenda heard a knock at the door. Alan had dozed off already, so she peered out the bedroom window and saw two men outside of a large white car. By the time Brenda got to the door to open it, the men were gone.
1: I assume you mentioned that the car is American-made because that is pretty abnormal in this small English village, right? Right.
0: Oh, for sure, yeah. And it kind of seemed like it would be unusual to see this type of car in general, even outside of the village, from what I read. So everyone quickly said, "That's an American car. Everyone could just tell, which is funny because I don't ever think of cars in terms of, you know, what country they were made in, but it was because it stood out. Just a few minutes after these men knocked at the door. Two people who walked through the village saw the same car parked right down the road from Alan and Brenda's home. They saw only one man in the car and they got a pretty good look at him. Their sighting helped create a composite of this individual and he was described as being in his late 40s with light hair, possibly white hair, and about five foot seven. So not the same guy who was at the pub from that description most likely not the same guy unless he changed his appearance completely. And we will have this eFit posted on our Instagram as well. About 20 minutes later, at 10.20, a man who was leaving his girlfriend's home saw the same car parked where the two witnesses saw him. He saw a man come from the direction of the pub and he got into the left side of the car and drove off, which that stood out to him too. I think... This detail, plus the fact that it was an American car, helped cement the visual in his memory. I know, alternatively, here in the U.S., if I saw someone on our street get into the right-hand side of their car and drive off, that would be way more memorable to me than if someone just got into the left side. It seemed like the people associated with this car were being far from discreet with as many sightings as there were. And you have to kind of wonder... If that was intentional or not, the car disappeared for about 25 minutes. No one had seen it during that period. Then, about 40 minutes after the initial knocks at Alan Brenda's door, they got another knock. They both went to the door this time. Brenda peered out the window and saw it was the same men in the car, the same car as earlier. Alan opened the door and stepped outside to address the men. He was nearly immediately blasted in the chest with a 12-gauge shotgun at point-blank range. Alan did manage to stumble back toward the house, and Brenda came outside. As soon as she heard the shot, he directed Brenda to go back inside. Once they were both inside, Alan, who was covered in blood at that point, and Brenda was covered in blood too— fell to the ground, and died in Brenda's arms.
1: So Brenda was obviously extremely distraught after, after this just happened. Do you know if she saw a good look at the guys? Or if she saw where they went, if she saw their car or anything?
0: So, I mean, she saw that it was the same car from earlier, right? But she didn't get a great look at the men, but I think she got a good enough look to know that she didn't recognize them, if that makes sense. Like she could tell these are not people I know, but I don't think she got she could make um a great description of them.
1: Okay. So, she at least saw the car that they'd been seen earlier.
0: Yes, it was the same one that had come to the house before, the same car that everybody saw in the village that night, the same American-made car. So Brenda was in shock. Like you said, she was distraught. Most people would be in that situation. She couldn't make sense of how, in one moment, Alan, the man she loved, was going to open their front door, and the next moment, he was dead.
1: So how... Remind me again, how long after they had been together did this happen?
0: This was about six months after they started seeing each other.
1: Okay. And probably about six months after they had both respectively separated from their spouses.
0: Yes. Very okay. similar timeline. Okay. Like we said, you know, when they left their respective spouses and when they got together, right. it's all about six months prior to when. Alan is being murdered or maybe even just under six months. Okay. From the start, there was no clear motive for Alan's murder. Police indicated that they were looking at various angles, but nothing stood out regarding why someone would want Alan dead.
1: It seems like there's pretty, maybe not clear motive, but it seems like there's motive for Brenda's ex Partner, I know they weren't married, but her ex-partner that she was with for 12 years and suddenly she wants to get separated because she just met this guy. There's definitely like an argument to be made of why that would be motive.
0: Agreed. Yes. And his name is Arthur. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Police didn't seem to be looking at this angle very obviously. I mean, I'm sure they were looking at it, but not in a way that they were talking about it publicly. But yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind is that Arthur could in theory have motive for Alan to be gone.
1: Yeah, not it's not only Arthur, it's Alan's ex-wife too who would have motive.
0: Yes, to be fair, she could have motive too, but she did speak out on their relationship and talked about how she respected his decision, whereas Arthur didn't. So that's the only reason I look at it a little bit differently. Okay. Crime Watch covered Allen's murder the month after it occurred and the program garnered hundreds of tips just hours after it first premiered, which had to feel promising. And when I look at this case, it feels as though there were strong leads to work with. There were physical descriptions of the two men. There was a good description of the car. And it was not just any old car. It was a large American car that stood out And made it easier for people to remember it. I just think back to the other unsolved murders we've discussed. Take the Kevin Brame case, for example, where we don't have a clue what the killer looks like or what vehicle they drove. There were people who called in to put names to the men and the composites, but nothing panned out from those names.
1: So people actually called in and gave names to these faces that they saw in the news or... People
0: they knew who they thought matched the description and matched the composite, but it sounds like they weren't the right people. Maybe they were, and police could just never prove that they were involved, but as far as we know, they weren't the right people. The car is often referred to as a Cadillac, and sometimes the killers are even referred to as the Cadillac Killers. However, the police have made it clear that they are not 100% certain that the vehicle actually was a Cadillac. It could have been some other make, but the description seemed to fit that of a Cadillac. There are reports of a vehicle matching the description, leaving the New Inn car park a little after 11 the night of the murder. So this would have been after Alan was killed, and New Inn is a pub in the nearby village of Minster located just a few minutes away from Moncton. So now we have another location, which could mean a whole new group of people who could have seen these men, but we weren't, we aren't certain that that was actually the same vehicle that was in Moncton. The idea circulated early on that the people behind the murder were hired by the person who actually wanted Alan dead. I think the fact that when Brenda saw the men, she didn't recognize them supports this theory. But at the same time, it's not as if Brenda knew every single person that Alan was acquainted with. I certainly don't believe these individuals were from the small village of Moncton because it was so small. It's highly likely someone would have recognized them if they did live in the area. One detail I found to be a particular interest was how the men came by Alan and Brenda's home once, and then they came back, and that's when Alan was killed. I wondered if they initially saw Brenda through the window coming downstairs, and since she was not their target, they decided to leave and try again later, or maybe they got spooked by someone driving or walking by at that moment. If this were a hit, it certainly wouldn't be the first time a contract killing occurred at someone's front door or in front of their home.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of circulating around Brenda and Alan's relationships. I'm kind of wondering if this had to do with something entirely different, if maybe it could have something to do with Alan's work. I mean, you said he's a a quality assurance analyst for...
0: Like P&B metal components, metal quality components? assurance manager for okay. PMB metal components.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe he was a stickler for, you know, not not signing off on the quality of whatever metal components he was checking.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I had the same thought. I was wondering, was Alan in a position at work where decisions he made could? materially impact someone. And Alan's colleagues were questioned by police uh, and they were trying to learn more about him, maybe establish a potential motive for his murder. But evidently, the responses didn't assist much. And I kind of wondered the same thing as you. You know, maybe someone wanted him to get involved with something unethical and it maybe not even di- directly related to his job, I and mean, maybe just someone he knew at work, and he wasn't willing to do that. But there's virtually no information out there about a possible connection between Alan's murder and his work. But I don't, it's not ruled out. There's still, I mean, there could be a connection, but it, you would think police could figure that out by tracking down um, people he worked with. Uh, were there rumors going around? Someone had to know something, you would think, or maybe a paper trail of something, but there was no mention of that and Brenda didn't know anything about that either, apparently. Rumors went around that Alan was killed because of a gambling debt, but police squashed that theory and even said that they couldn't find anything in Alan's background at all that could be motive for murder. I would think if he owed someone money, they'd want to threaten Alan first so that they could possibly receive the money they were owed rather than kill him. I suppose it's possible Alan was being threatened, but he didn't tell anyone if that were the case. I wonder what the intentions were of the man who went to find Alan at the White Stag pub. Clearly not going to kill Alan in a public place like that. So you have to wonder what he had to say to him, or maybe he just wanted to get a good look at him if he weren't familiar with Alan to make sure that on the night of the murder, they would be targeting the right person. There are various reports about Brenda and Alan both being known by different names, but Brenda denied this and expressed frustration with the media for printing this. What she said was false information. She didn't like how it made Alan seem shady.
1: Boy, can you expound on that a little bit? They they were known for going by different names?
0: That's what the media was reporting, but she was saying it wasn't true. So it would say Brenda, also known as, I think it was Diane, I didn't even know the names because she said it was inaccurate.
1: In terms of what? Just outside of work or?
0: I don't even know. It was like the media just got incorrect information and they were printing it. And I think it, when you hear someone goes by different names or has an alias, it can maybe make them seem shady, but she squashed those theories. So we're left with Alan's personal life. Alan was clearly targeted And it's hard not to wonder if someone related to one of his past relationships or even his current relationship, like we discussed, had a hand in his demise. If it's true that he'd cheated in the past, could this have been revenge? Alternatively, we discussed Arthur, Brenda's ex. Could he have wanted Alan out of the picture? I mean, they spent 12 years together. It's not too much of a stretch to think he could have played a role here but that's from a theoretical perspective and thinking specifically who could have motive. I couldn't find any evidence that actually pointed it in his direction. And we certainly know it was not Arthur who pulled the trigger as they would have recognized him. And Arthur was reportedly 28 miles away at a gym and sitting born at the time of Alan's murder.
1: Do we know anything about Arthur's background? Did he have a past history of... I don't know, aggression or anything, holding grudges,
0: violence? I know virtually nothing about Arthur. I'm sorry. There's really not a lot out there about him. I kind of think if he had a known history like that, then it would have been reported on. But no, I I don't know anything except that he was a car dealer. And kind of get a little more information later on, but it's still not really about who Arthur is as a person. So despite a thorough police investigation, they were never able to track down the two men, the vehicle, or the weapon that was used in the murder. It seems highly likely that the vehicle's sole purpose was to be transportation for the killers on the night of the murder, and police acknowledge that it could have been scrapped shortly after the murder. And I believe that's highly likely the case because this car is never, seemingly never seen again. And this concludes the information we have about Alan's murder. But this story is far from over. After Alan's murder, Brenda went to stay with her sister for five weeks, but she chose to return to Moncton and live in the home she shared with Alan. She would eventually move to a new flat in Woodstable later in 1991, but I can't imagine returning to Moncton at all. Brenda said this about the matter. Quote, I feel Alan is here with me. I have good memories of life here with Alan, which I need to cherish, and only one bad moment, which I will have with me anywhere I live for the rest of my life, end quote. And she's completely right in the sense that if she moved somewhere else, she would still have to deal with the loss of Alan. But personally, I think I would be fearful that the people who killed Alan would come back for me. Since there was no known motive for Alan's murder, I would worry that even though the people responsible seemed to successfully evade authorities, they could think I witnessed more than I did and want to kill me because of that. Brenda also said, quote, I would say I am a survivor with strength and determination. I will survive this torment with Alan's love and help behind me, end quote. But even though Brenda shared these encouraging words, Alan's murder took a major toll on her, and those closest to Brenda described her as being quite depressed in the months that followed his murder, and she began consuming a little more alcohol than she had before. At some point, Arthur re-entered Brenda's life. I don't know the extent of their rekindling, but I know they were spending time together in some capacity, and it definitely seemed like it was more on a friendship level, not a romantic level. So we are going to fast forward a bit to December 1991, right around the Christmas holiday. So this is almost nine months after Alan was murdered. This was a particularly depressing point in Brenda's life because she spent a lot of time reminiscing about the previous Christmas she spent with Alan. On December 25th, or Christmas Day, Brenda went to Arthur's home and they ate a meal together. Then they went to her sister's home to visit. Arthur described Brenda as being a little bit off that day, and Brenda thought she was coming down with a cold or the flu or something.
1: So I don't, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but while Brenda was with Alan, did she maintain any sort of relationship with Arthur?
0: That's unclear. Yeah, I'm not sure if he just kind of swooped back into her life once Alan was gone, or if they still kind of had that friendship In the months where she was with Alan,
1: yeah, I suppose I could see it going either way, whether it was they amicably broke up and, you know, they did maintain some sort of friendship, or after Alan died, they, you know, maybe she reached out to him and, you know, needed someone to talk to.
0: Even though she didn't want to be with him anymore, clearly. Right. He had to be comforting in some way. I mean, you spend 12 years with someone and it's not like they had a rocky relationship that we know of. So I'm sure he did comfort her. But yeah, I don't know who reached out to the other. So back to Christmas Day, they're at um, Arthur's home. They have a meal together. Then they go to her sister's house for a visit and Brenda wasn't feeling well. They stayed at Brenda's sister's house for a while and then they returned to Brenda's flat in Whitstable at about 9 p.m. Brenda drank a few gin and tonics, then fell asleep, and Arthur slept on the couch that night. When they awoke the next morning, Brenda still wasn't feeling well, according to Arthur, and he was concerned about her. So this next tidbit of the story was a little confusing to me. So I'm going to read it exactly as it was reported in the Fanat Times, And Mrs. Butler is Brenda's sister. Quote, in the afternoon, he, meaning Arthur, went to use a public telephone to call Mrs. Butler to suggest she gave her sister a call for a chat. But when she called, Brenda didn't want to talk to her and soon handed the telephone back to Arthur. End quote. So the part that confused me is why he went to use a public telephone to call Brenda's sister Couldn't he have just used Brenda's phone? I mean, maybe he didn't want Brenda to hear him?
1: My mind kind of went to she was upset about something and he didn't want to ask her to use her phone to call her sister, right?
0: Oh, I assumed he could just use it without asking, but that's interesting. Yeah, maybe he was just trying to give her her space anyway. I don't think it means anything, but it was just a little odd to me. Arthur left Brenda's home around 8 p.m. The next day, Friday, December 27th, Brenda had plans to meet up with some colleagues for lunch, and Arthur knew this, but he still tried to reach her multiple times throughout that day. He got no response, so he left a few voicemails. The following day, Saturday, December 28th, seemed to be the day where Arthur began to worry because Brenda still hadn't returned his calls And they usually spent Saturday nights together.
1: What is the status of the relationship? I suppose I'm just kind of confused. Is he just there to comfort her or are they, you know, I don't know. I don't
0: know exactly. I think it was definitely more of a friendship though right now. It did not seem like they were romantically involved again at that point. So even though they spent Saturday nights together, I think it was more as a friendship, and maybe they were hoping or he was hoping to rebuild something, but they weren't in a full-blown relationship again. His concern grew even more, though, when he received a phone call around 8.15 from some of the colleagues Brenda was supposed to meet with for lunch. They told Arthur that they were in Brenda's neighborhood, and they noticed that it didn't appear Brenda was home, but they observed that some of her home's windows were open. So they asked if she was with him. They also shared that Brenda had never shown up for their lunch the day prior. This was obviously alarming and Arthur asked the colleagues to stay there and he would come over and they would check on Brenda. But he also asked his brother to come with him. Once they arrived, Arthur's brother climbed into one of the windows that was open and made a shocking discovery. Brenda was lying dead in her half-filled bathtub. So, Before we get into that, let me run back through the timeline really quickly. Arthur and Brenda spend Christmas and the day after Christmas together, but he leaves her home around 8 p.m. The next day, she had plans to meet with colleagues for lunch, but she didn't show up. So whatever happened to Brenda most likely happened the night of the 26th after Arthur left. Brenda's death seemed like an open and shut case at first glance. There were pills in the bathtub, a gin and tonic on the edge of the tub, and a suicide note in the bathroom. There was even another note in her home that asked the question, do people go to heaven if they take their own life? Initial reports about Brenda's death indicated that police were treating her death as a suicide and any suggestion that she may have been murdered was categorically denied. But it didn't take too long for investigators to realize that this death that seemed so clear was actually far more complicated and sinister than they could have imagined. The coroner described the case as the strangest and most disturbing he had seen for some time. And he explained that Brenda died from a violent and deliberate assault. So that juxtaposition (laughs) is just wild to go from this was a suicide to actually This is one of the most disturbing cases he's seen, and she died from a violent and deliberate assault. I mean, it's shocking. During the autopsy, the pathologist noted there was a strange smell, a sort of chemical smell. It was determined that the cause was the anesthetic, diethyl ether. The levels of ether were so high that it made it impossible that Brenda administered it on her own. The belief was that someone applied it by holding a pad over her face. This was supported by marks and bruising on Brenda's face, specifically on both sides of her nose, that were consistent with someone forcefully holding a pad to her face. There was no pad or towel found in the bathroom soaked in ether, which was another reason it was believed to be impossible for Brenda to have done this herself. Brenda's cause of death was ruled as drowning due to narcosis as a result of inhaling diethyl ether. And they believed she lost consciousness rather quickly since she had also been drinking that night. When the pathologist who conducted the examination was asked if the diethyl ether on its own could have been lethal, he remarked that it was difficult to determine what is a lethal dose. He said that the ether was the effective cause of death, but the drowning overtook it. I find this question on uh, of if the level of ether is high enough to kill her on its own to be interesting. And I wish we had an answer. I, I don't know what the person who broke into the home thought about the ether, but they certainly wanted this to look like a suicide. It kind of seems like the bath or the drowning was a vital part of the plan. And if that's correct, that it was part of the plan, then don't you think this had to be someone who knew Brenda took baths, and knew her routine of when she would bathe, I think the ether made it easier for them to drown her. If they didn't have something to render her unconscious, she likely would have fought back, and it would have been a lot more difficult to carry this out. Additionally, it was noted that Brenda's back was to the bathroom door, so she could have been taken by surprise. So unfortunately for the perpetrator, though, and fortunately for everyone else, their attempt to make Brenda's death look like a suicide was unsuccessful.
1: Yeah, and you would also have to know when she was home, right? And I guess I'm wondering what was her home broken into? Were there any signs of forced entry?
0: No, there were no signs of forced entry when the police searched Brenda's home, so they believed either Brenda let her killer in, or they got into the home through an unlocked or open room window. Um, you have the colleagues who saw her house with the windows open. So that was a theory as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was the middle of winter.
0: Right. Uh, it, right. Like,
1: I guess I'm wondering why you would leave windows open.
0: Yeah. It was seems, so cold out. Seems like a strange time of year to be, Relaxing with your windows open, for sure. Police were, of course, interested in speaking with Arthur as he was the last person known to see Brenda. They asked him directly if he killed Brenda or if he helped her die by suicide. And he denied having any hand in her death at all. Well, in another bizarre turn of events, about a month after Brenda was killed, Arthur was found inside a locked Ford Escort, also an American car, with a hose pipe from the exhaust shut inside the car. Fortunately, an anonymous individual called emergency services and they arrived in time to take him to a local hospital and he was treated for carbon monoxide poisoning. He was later released from the hospital and he made a full recovery. When he did this, police knew about the Ether and Brenda's system. And that information was released to the public, but it wasn't yet reported that she'd been murdered. So one can presume Arthur had been questioned extensively by police about this matter at that time. It appeared that either Arthur was struck severely by the loss of Brenda, or he felt guilty about her death. Of course, people wondered immediately if Brenda's murders connected to Alan's murder. But police claimed there was no Evidence to link the two deaths. Police said Brenda was a key witness to Alan's murders. They were often in contact with her before she died. They never had reason to believe she was in danger. She had never felt threatened or anything after Alan died.
1: They both died in pretty, pretty different ways, right? They were they were starkly different in in which the ways in which they died.
0: Yes, I agree. I mean. It doesn't get much more different uh, in the way they died. And another distinction is that no one saw anything related to Brenda's murder. There were no witnesses. And as far as I could find, there were no strange cars seen in the area on the night of her murder. And no one witnessed anyone around Brenda's flat. Before I got into researching this case, and I just read a summary about the murder of Alan and then the murder of Brenda I thought it seemed likely that Brenda was killed because she was there the night of Alan's murder, and they feared that she witnessed more than she was saying publicly. But when you think about it, there's a nearly nine-month gap between the deaths. If the people who killed Alan feared Brenda would help identify them, then you would think they would want to harm her sooner than nine months later. The investigation into Brenda's murder failed to turn up a valid motive or a viable suspect. On the 20-year anniversary of the murders in 2011, the BBC reported that the cases were being reviewed again. It was reported that police still had not established a motive for either death. They maintained that they couldn't prove there was a link between the two murders, but that there was a chance there was a link. I mean, of course there's a chance. Until you can figure out the motives, I don't see how a connection could be discounted. One of the only new pieces of information that came out And this article from Dave Stevens from the Kent police was that, quote, advances in DNA technology meant that information would be available to detectives that would not have been around 20 years ago, which I think implies they have DNA evidence from either Alan or Brenda's murder or possibly both. I would think it's more likely this kind of evidence be present at Brenda's crime scene since it likely took longer to carry out. That Alan's murder, and the person had to touch Brenda and be inside her home,
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, in Alan's case, it was a shotgun blast, and they were on their way, you know, as opposed to Brenda's case, where someone was clearly inside the home, and that you know there was there were multiple opportunities to leave behind DNA evidence.
0: yeah, with Alan's case, I don't see how there would have been that much DNA left yeah, behind. they
1: were probably not even inside the home.
0: Right. So while this information seems promising, this report was from twelve years ago and there hasn't been much information that has surfaced since then. Stevens also said, quote, there was speculation at the time that this could have been a contract style killing, but there's nothing to suggest that either Alan or Brenda had any involvement with criminality. End quote. My question to that would be couldn't it still be a contract style killing without there being a criminal element (laughs) on behalf of Alan or Brenda? I mean It's often stated that if these men were contract killers, they were quite amateur, yet they've gotten away with it for this long. So how amateur were they really? And this brings us to theories. There aren't many, but there's one we've already touched on that is glaringly obvious, I think. If I were an investigator in these murders, I would be interested in Arthur. We've already talked about it, but I'd also be interested in... place of employment, Alan and Brenda shared, because that is a common link between them. Arthur and Brenda's separation seemed abrupt, and she began a relationship with Alan rather quickly. I mean, anyone who spent 12 years with someone would feel hurt if that person left them, period, and started a new relationship right away. That's just like rubbing salt in the wound. Now, for the mass majority of people, they're going to try to harm the person that their partner ended up with. But the point is, there could have been a motive for Arthur to remove Alan from the picture. With Alan gone, maybe he could have inched his way back into Brenda's life. And that's what he did. Again, I don't think the relationship after Alan's murder became romantic again, but he did re-enter her life.
1: Right. Yeah. I am on the same page as you. It seems like Arthur essentially got blindsided. You know, he wanted to get Alan out of the picture because, you know, from my point of view, it seemed like Alan was still in love with Brenda.
0: You and mean she, Arthur was still in love with Brenda? Yeah.
1: Sorry. Arthur was still in love with Brenda and he, he wanted to get Alan out of the picture and get his way back into Brenda's life. And he, you know, it seemed like he did even... It, even if it was on a friendship level. And that may have been motive to get rid of Brenda if she didn't view him romantically anymore.
0: Right. I agree completely because I, when I was tossing the theory around in my head, again, this is just a theory. Arthur's never been named a suspect. Right. When I was tossing around, I'm like, wait, why would he kill Brenda then if his whole purpose was to get back with her? But it, could have been what you said. Like she didn't want that. And she kept talking about Alan all the time.
1: Right. Maybe Arthur tried to progress things back. That doesn't really make sense. Maybe he tried to get back to where they were prior to Alan. And she said, you know, she said, no, I view us us as just his friends at this point. And he didn't take that very well.
0: Especially if he did set it up to kill Alan to have to hear that. Right. Would be like, why did I even do that? Yeah.
1: Okay. Another thought I had was you mentioned Arthur is he runs a car dealership. So, I mean, realistically, he could have access to American-made cars, right?
0: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that. He, like
1: you mentioned, he the American-made car was potentially a Cadillac, and then the car he was found in was a, was a Ford, two American-made cars.
0: Yes. Interesting. I would think the Ford Escort wouldn't stand out as much as the Cadillac, but I'm not 100% sure. I will say when I looked at Reddit threads about this case, it really helped me understand how much the Cadillac or whatever it was definitely would have stood out. They were pretty rare at that time.
1: Right. But I guess my thought is he, as a car dealership guy, he would have connections in order to acquire those types of cars.
0: I agree. Yeah. But then I wonder if the police could have tracked down if a car went missing or was unaccounted for. Maybe it was legitimately accounted for. I don't know. I really don't know how much they investigated Arthur as a suspect. I would think. They investigated him pretty thoroughly, but not a lot of information on it out there. Also, I did think back to that weird instance where he wanted Brenda's sister to call her. Remember, he was saying Brenda wasn't doing well. Why don't you check on her? Blah, blah, blah. And then Arthur was the last known person to see her. But in my really like calculated version of my brain, I was wondering if that could have been premeditated like he wanted someone else to hear how bad Brenda was doing so that maybe when it looked like it's a suicide it would kind of make sense like there's someone else besides Arthur who could say yeah she was really down that day
1: someone else close to her heard how distraught she was yes and it it could play into you know a, a, a suicide
0: yeah, it wouldn't be all that surprising then. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, that is so dark to yeah, think about it it. You know, But this person who did this, whoever it was, wanted it to look like a suicide. Right. That was clear. But to be fair, although Arthur was questioned about the murders, like I said, he has never been named a suspect. On the other hand, there's a possibility that their murders were tied to their work. That is one common thread between Alan and Brenda. But There's not much information to flesh out there. But it's a somewhat appealing theory. I mean, it's a connection, right? And the only issue is that it didn't seem that anyone had any information about how their work could have related to their murders. And that seems a little easier to track down than maybe, for example, Arthur being involved. And there are definitely other theories out there. There's just no substance to any of them.
1: Yeah, you know, it really seems like we're, Revolving around their personal relationships and not really delving into any of their professional relationships or anything outside their personal lives, and you know, it's it, it does seem like there isn't much information on whatever they were doing outside of work or you know, within their interpersonal relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. There could definitely be something else here that we don't know about that would be even more viable than something related to their personal relationships. But I really hope uh, we find out one day, not for our sake, but for the families of Alan and Brenda, Alan had a daughter who has had to live without any answers. Someone out there has to know who these men are. So be sure to look at the e-fits that were developed of them, especially our listeners who might live in this area or maybe once lived in this area. We will have those posted on our Instagram page, Key of the Case podcast, along with other relevant images. Just wild to me that no one could identify these men. I mean, Crime Watch is huge and they got the case on the program. So it makes you wonder if the images maybe weren't super accurate or these men weren't from anywhere near where the crime occurred. If you have any information related to the murder of Alan Leppard or Brenda Long, you can call 08143222289 08143222289 to submit that information or call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111 or visit crimestoppers-uk.org. Thank you all for tuning in today and we hope you all enjoy the holidays. We will be back next week with a new case. Bye.
1: Bye.